The first, second reading is, of course, from John, chapter 11. Reading from verse 38. Chapter 11 in John, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. That is the word of the Lord. Well, this miracle with Lazarus. Everything we've heard over the past Sundays have been a prelude to this passage today. We've had the sickness and then the death of Lazarus. We had the interaction uh, with Jesus and the two sisters and then the indication of the faith that is required, that required some strengthening and some assurance. And we could certainly hear, we could see a large extent We see ourselves in some of these pages, don't we? But today we'll certainly bring out this aspect even more that we need to look at and we need to be aware of. But let us pray for his spirit to clarify what this is really about. Let us pray together. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will truly guide us carefully through this passage, that we may see what happened there, and where it points us to, and what it means for us in our daily lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Well, the tomb was a temporal burial site in most cases until a complete decomposition of the body had taken place, after which time they would collect the bones and place them in either a clay or a limestone coffin box uh, and have that in a second funeral. It would be worth now also to remember that Jesus has just told them that he is the resurrection and the life. This is important. So what is about to happen will point us to what is going to be happening to Jesus not that long into the future, which in turn also intensifies, it heightens 
what John writes of Jesus when he says Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. See, Jesus at this point not only knows the plan of God, he also knows what is, awaits him in a week's time and being in this place, in this situation, standing before a tomb with a stone in front of it. And of course, he being fully human, with all the emotions that comes with being a human being, he must have felt this effect on his state of mind. As John writes, Jesus was deeply moved. Let me sidetrack for a moment. Mary and Martha, as well as the disciples, had walked and lived with Jesus for, 30 year, or for three years by this time. They had known him, they had been with him, they had been with him for seven days a week for three years. During these three years, I've had the privilege of witnessing close to 30, 30 miracles. Miracles of healing, miracles of feeding masses of people, exorcising evil spirits and demons, controlling nature and raising people to life. They've seen it. As I mentioned at other times, these miracles were, as, as Phil said, they were for the people, but mainly for the benefit of these disciples that were there with him to strengthen their faith and their understanding of God and of Jesus' place in all this. They would be needing to have an extraordinary faith to be able to be his witnesses, withstand persecution, torture, the attacks, and then take the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth, which is the command that he gave them in Matthew 28. And there is no escaping this. It also involves you and I here today. We have been given an authorized biography of the life of Jesus And we are, through the guiding of his spirit, also witnesses to all these 30 miracles that are in the Gospels. We read about them, we believe on Jesus, and we know he did them. Just as Jesus had called each and every disciple and apostle by name, and so he has called each one of us by our own name. The call on the disciples were no less a miracle than a miracle of bringing you out from your spiritual death. Keep this in mind also as we move forward here today. This next event will be the second last miracle in the life of Jesus as he walked on earth. And it is incredibly pertinent to what is to come. Again, We need to link this with a statement that we had last week, which is central to everything that is happening here. I am the resurrection and the life. That's the big point. We need to know that this is Jesus. Jesus' next instruction to them also alludes to what will happen to him in one week from now, in this timeline. In 39, take away the stone, he said. Jesus at this point, we all know, because we just talked about one of the miracles or two of the miracles where he controls nature. 
Jesus could have ordered the stone to get out of the way. And it would have. But he's involving the two sisters and their friends in the work of the Lord and is literally inviting them to join in his ministry to Israel. That's what's happening here. But we find that there's still some lingering lack of trust amongst the girls, the, the sisters of Lazarus. But, Lord, said Martha. Well, the use of the word but in this context is not a good one. It is a doubtful one. It precedes an excuse for not doing something asked of them. But, by this time there is a bad odour for he has been there for four days. Well, see, normal circumstances and all natural laws said that she would have made the correct assumption that he would have started to decay. But these are not normal times. In fact, it brings to mind a verse in the Bible speaking of the condition befalling Jesus. We come from Psalm 16, verses 9-10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. See, God would not let Lazarus this time around anyway let his body begin to decay. That was not in the plan. Even if the psalm actually refers to the fact that Jesus' body is not going to decay, Lazarus was to come out in the same condition as he went into the tomb, except, of course, the fact that he's now alive. No small point. But the two sisters still haven't understood. They actually require more assurances, more understanding, more evidence, if you like. In verse 40, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? At this point in the timeline of events, there was seemingly no one there at that place that had a faith strong enough and developed enough who believed that Jesus had just told them. Jesus had just told them that he was the resurrection and the life. What Jesus told them goes against normal view of a whole world we live in. We like to say things like, seeing is believing. I'll bring you back. There's 30 miracles, and they all seen them. So in, in, in real human terms, seeing is believing, then they should be believing. If you can control all those things, surely this is nothing. But Jesus had turned all of this upside down. And this becomes important for us. He said, believing is seeing. In this scenario, it is a physical seeing because they, if they believe, they will see it. They will see the glory of God. For you and I today, this is a spiritual seeing. You and I can't see anything until we first believe. If we haven't got belief, there's nothing we can see. We can't even read the Bible and understand it. 
We're also not speaking of a blind faith for us. When we say we believe and therefore see, we have the recounting of the life of Jesus in a true historical biography of him that sets out all the evidence for his deity, his holiness, and his restorative, redemptive life. It's all there in the Bible for us. And speaking of believing, I read a story, quite funny one. It's from Texas, America. There's a bar owner across the street from a church in Texas that wanted to, because the business was good, he was going to expand the bar and make it open 24 hours a day. The local church across the road started to pray and told the world to pray that this expansion would stop. The week before the opening, everything was ready. A lightning strike caused the whole building to burn to the ground. Gone. The bar owner, of course, turns to the legal system and sues the church for indirectly by prayer causing his business to be destroyed to which the congregation rejected outright any responsibility. Now the judgment, this is the good bit. The judge says, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. And we laugh and we giggle. And then we ask ourselves, how much do we believe in prayer? My point is this. The only one present at the raising of Lazarus at the tomb with a strong enough faith and trust in the power and authority of God the Father is actually Jesus. Not the disciples, not Mary, not Martha. He has just instructed them to remove the stone of the tomb. So in verse 41, they obeyed. They took away the stone. They finally got there. Even if they don't fully comprehend what good this will do, they know in their hearts that they really should be doing what he's asked of them. So it's kind of half-hearted. This was the start of a new era in the lives of some of them. This would be life-changing and should be for us. I dare to venture that the disciples are still standing around, probably stunned and bewildered with no idea or even comprehension of what is about to happen here. There would even be some there that simply thought Jesus wanted to walk into this tomb and see Lazarus, his good friend, for the last time. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus does what he always does. It's the same as what he did when he was feeding the 5,000, another miracle. He prays to the Father and he thanks the Father before the miracle has been done. He gives a preemptive thank you and gives the glory to the Father. All happens before the miracles. This has also got something to do with trust. He knew there was nothing to be feared. Jesus absolutely and unconditionally trusts the Father. His God is a trustworthy God. 
your and my God is that very same God that Jesus prayed to here. If we ask of him and he promises us, then we know it will be so. And we can thank him preemptively. A preemptive prayer could be something like, Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus back to earth to bring me home, to live with you forever. We know he will come back. We know he will bring us home. We know we will be in heaven forever. We will never die. We will be eternal beings. We can thank him, even though it is future. We should, however, also always be more like Jesus when he speaks to the Father in heaven. In Luke twenty-two forty-six. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. His prayers, Jesus shows a true godly faith whilst also showing his human side. This prayer is still to come, however, in about a week's time. The prayer to the Father with Lazarus is another example of his training of the disciples in how to pray and how to back prayers with trust. So Jesus moves on with this. In 43, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. In all things, Jesus could have whispered. And Lazarus would have heard. But the volume of his voice was simply to declare before the assembled crowd that he, Jesus, had all the power and authority of the Father in him over life and death and had no room for anyone to miss this point. They all stood there, they all heard the words, they all saw it happening. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Walked out of the tomb. No decay and fully alive. And yet wrapped in burial linen. The rising of Lazarus was a spiritual act of God with a physical result. Lazarus had been given a second life but had not been resurrected as Jesus was or would be. Lazarus still would have to die before going home, as it were. Jesus also has called you and I out of our grave. We're all dead in our transgressions. As Paul writes in Ephesians, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we have been spiritually given a second life. And some of us will or may have to die, physically speaking, before we can go home. When I say some of us, I simply refer to the fact that Jesus may come back tomorrow and we'll all be alive and we'll all be going home and we'll never die. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is obviously the climax to the miracle. It is the finish. It is done. Jesus has shown the most spectacular view of what God can do and what God will do with his son 
as well as what God and Jesus will do with all the people that I have called to be theirs. They will do exactly what he did with Lazarus to us, except it will be a resurrection to life eternal. There may be three things we can say about the faith of Jesus, which is the key to this passage. Firstly, it is a personal faith. It is between him and the Father. It wasn't just because of the Father-Son relationship. It was a fully comprehended knowledge and total trust in the Father, God. Personal. And that is also part of the second part of his faith. Jesus had a perfect faith. There was never room for doubt, but always a perfect trust in everything that he did. I think we should arrive at the inescapable conclusion that from the reading about his willingness to go to the cross and suffer death for our sins proves just that point. He knew that there was no risk for him. And finally, we know from reading about him that his faith was so very public. He did not go to some quiet place and commune with the Father, but he would be smack bang in the middle of the busiest places in Jerusalem and beyond, whilst proclaiming the coming salvation of those called by the Father. Jesus at no time did shy away from persecution. His faith was fully visible to the entire world. We can conclude today's study with a simple question. Have you, like Lazarus, heard the call of Jesus? Jesus wants all of his people to be involved in his ministry. Remove the stone, he said. Be part of the removing of the obstacles. That's for you and I. That are possibly preventing family and friends to be given that second chance of life. I'm not saying that we should save them, but we can provide them with the evidence straight out of the pages of the Bible, of the deity and the holiness of the Son of God. And then he said, remove the grave clothes. We can, once they have heard the call, we can also be there to help them grow in their faith by supporting, encouraging and training them. That's what we are called for. That is our purpose for our second life. Remove the doubt and provide assurances is what we do. I read a statement from Arthur Pink, who's a biblical scholar from England. There is no higher privilege this side of heaven than for us to be used by the Lord in rolling away gravestones and removing grave clothes. Be part of his ministry. And indeed, may our gracious and merciful Lord give you clarity in what he wants you to do with the faith that he has given you freely and provided you with a salvation through his death on the cross and through the resurrection given you life eternal, a promise for which we can thank him preemptively. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, It is with all we read the lines of your Bible that speaks of the rising of Lazarus, 
knowing fully well, Lord, that Jesus is there, pointing us all to what will happen in one week's time in his life, that he too will be dead, crucified, suffering. He will be placed in a tomb on a third day. He too will be raised, resurrected to new life eternal. It is these things we need to ponder deeply, deeply in our hearts, Lord, that we truly understand that as he saved us and gave us second life, that we will respond by serving with him and serving him in this world. We were called for that purpose. It is what God's will is for us. And we pray, Lord, that you will strengthen our faith and our willingness to serve by your Holy Spirit's guiding. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.